Welcome to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive, inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development, and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease, and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, best-selling author, and proud fur mama, and I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high-performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul-centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Fire and Soul podcast. I hope you're enjoying your holiday season. I am very excited about today's episode. I have been waiting to have the time to sit down and be in the right frame of mind to share my experience in somewhat very vivid detail as much as I can remember. Thankfully, I wrote a lot of notes down in my journal during the process. And then as soon as I returned, this was about a month and a half ago now at this point. So I'm going to share that with you here and my time experiencing plant medicine, ayahuasca, for the very first time. And But before we go there, I wanted to share something that's also quite natural. <laughs> I've been talking about this basically since October because I believe in this skincare so much. I believe in all natural ingredients that are non-toxic that actually get your results. And that's what AO Skincare has done. And they're out of pristine New Zealand. I've, I've been able to work with the brand behind the scenes and fully understand their ingredient deck, their science, their, the art of it, the clinicals, the products I've been using for several months now. And now many of you are as well. This stuff works. I mean, the results are kind of insane. Independent clinical trials are showing that 100% of people had an increase in skin elasticity and also 100% had a reduction in skin roughness. It's pretty damn incredible. And how it works is that ale breaks the skin's addiction to traditional moisturizers that, by the way, typically build up a barrier so there's no real way for the skincare's optimal ingredients, if there is such a thing, and most it's not, let's just face it, to even get in there and do its job. So AO is the first skincare company to create formulas that focus on restoring your skin's own dynamic barrier. And it's so progressive. Honestly, it's probably 10 years ahead of the industry, but you get to know about it here. And they are making waves. They're on Australia's TV shopping network. They are extremely successful. And the Harvard Derm-based founder, Dr. Mark Gray, came up with this because he, after having like 20 something private practices throughout New Zealand and treating patients for so many years, he just realized that basically, sorry, the crap he was saying, that he was basically being asked to support and sell in his clinics. He just couldn't stand behind anymore. So he went rogue, he busted out of the system and he created his own. And I'm really honored to be able to share that with you. And for the holidays, we have a discount for you. So you can head on over to fireandsoulpodcast.com and you'll get 20% off most of the products on AO's website. So just click the link there right on the show notes at the bottom there and you'll be good to go. Enjoy, my friends. Many of you have that listen to the show and I'm really excited about that for you. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna do my very best to not go on and on and on about this because I wanna share from my heart, but I also totally recognize that time is, is our most precious commodity. So with that being said, I wanted just to highlight some things that I have mentioned with the chief medical officer and co-founder, Dr. Jeff McNary, whom you heard a few weeks back. And if you didn't, you can check that out. And my top download of all year. And then I had the CEO and founder, Jerry Powell on, who this is all because of him and his darkness, addiction, and sadness. When you hear part of his story and then dig a little deeper, you're like, oh my goodness. And the fact that they've now been able to heal almost 7,000 lives in the few short years they've been open in the beautiful Northwest region of Costa Rica in this gorgeous feels like heaven location known as Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. I mean, 
what an honor to be a part of this journey. But my experience when I first heard about it happened right here, you guys. So let me just share with you right now, this podcast is such a gift, not only to my life, but I know for many of you because you've shared. So way back in April, I had one of my beloved mentors, Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul mogul on this show. And during that conversation, he invited me to an ayahuasca journey. Now, at that time, I he thought he was going to be going to Ecuador. I didn't care where he was going. I was just like, oh my God, Jack Canfield just invited me to go on a trip with him. Now, mind you, I had no interest in doing ayahuasca. I just wanted to go somewhere with Jack Canfield and his friends. <laughs> That's what I wanted. So I remember saying yes, but there was hella no way I was going to actually go. I'd never done a drug a day in my life. I wasn't going to go do ayahuasca in Ecuador. But then I was like torn. You know how ego comes in? It's like, if you want them to like you, or if you want to hang out with those people, then you got to go do what those people are doing. But the other side of me was like, yeah, but you don't do ayahuasca. You would never do ayahuasca. You've been invited to do ayahuasca right here in LA. Why in the world would you travel internationally and pay a lot of money to go do something that you don't even do just for company? So, so it didn't make sense. But anyway, I just put it on the back burner. You know, saw Jack throughout the summer, saw Jack many, many times. As, as some of you know, I took his stages, which I'm really honored to even say. And I've just, I've joined Train the Trainer Live with him for 2020. This epic year-long, intense, it's sort of his signature program. It's definitely his most prestigious. And I'm honored to get to learn from him and study under him. So it's fair to say that Jack Canfield is a true mentor of mine. And I'm going to be studying under him throughout 2020. I still wasn't going, though, to do ayahuasca. Hell no way. And then I ran into a girlfriend of mine through the Tony Robbins environment, my other, you know, world of mentorship and inspiration and absolute transformation. It was for another girlfriend of ours who's also part of the Tony Robbins world, Rhea, her birthday. She was uh, in town in LA from Florida, and a lot of friends were at this beautiful brunch in Hollywood. And this other woman, another girl, they're all Tony Robbins people, but had flown in from Hawaii and she was attending the brunch as well. And of course it was so great to see her. And I'm like, oh, Mariah, it's so good to see you. What are you up to? And she's like, oh, my whole world has been just turned upside down in the best possible way. And she was sharing about doing ayahuasca. And she had just gone to this place called Rhythmia. Now I had heard of Rhythmia because my mom, out of all people, had put Rhythmia at the top of her bucket list, including trying ayahuasca for the last, like it had been about three and a half years at that point. She had sent me the website. She had talked about it. You could not even get me to be interested. You couldn't pay me to be interested. I was like, yeah, mom, that's cute. You know, I was like, wow, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I just was so not interested. But when when Mariah was talking about the fact that she had gone in May and what an extraordinary experience she had, it was it was just an interesting take, right? Because I hadn't known anyone who had actually gone to Rhythmia. And then I was like, well, that's cool. And she's like, well, you know what? I'm going back in a month. I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go to Rhythmia again. And I was like, really? Who are you going with? And she's like, well, people in the Tony Robbins environment, plus this beautiful spiritual guide named Panash Desai, who many of you may know. By the way, he's coming on the podcast um, early next year. And Jack Canfield and some of his friends. And I was like, huh? Jack Canfield? Wait, when are you going? And she said, November. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Jack had invited me to go and try ayahuasca with him and his friends in November. But when he invited me, it was in Ecuador. So he's obviously changed venues. Huh? So it's kind of like the seeds were planted, pun intended. And so I was like, no way. I believe that's the trip that I was invited to. And she's like, what? Are you going? And I was like, no, I don't think so. I'm, I'm too scared. And she was like, you got to be kidding me. Do you understand? And this is, you know, just hear this for what it is, guys. She's like, do you understand what an honor it is? It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to get to go and do ayahuasca at Rhythmia with Jack Canfield and Panash Desai. I didn't know who Panash was at that point, but now I know that what she was saying was very legit. I knew what she was saying was real. I got the value of it, but it still scared me. So I wasn't going to do it, but I did tell her I would look into it. And I think I might have even gotten pumped up in the moment because she went on and on and on about it in a great way. I was like, fine, I'll do it. But I really wasn't going to do it. So then I'm talking to my mom a few days later. And I was like, mom, it's just this weird thing. Like, I think Jack Canfield is now actually, because she knew that he had invited me. And she was like, what? You need to go do that. But she thought we were going to Ecuador. And so it's now October, right? So the trip's supposed to be in November. I haven't even followed up because that's how uninterested I actually was. I decided, eh, screw it, I'm not doing that. So I say to my mom, 
I believe he's going to be going to Rhythmia. And now she's saying the same thing Mariah said at the brunch. She's like, what? You're not going? Like, are you kidding? That's my bucket list place. So it was all coming back full circle. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm like, well, I'm like, let me see if the invite still stands with Jack. I have no idea. So I emailed him and I was like, hey, just wanted to check in and see if that offer is still, if it's still out there. And he's like, absolutely. And so then I wrote him back. And I was like, okay, this is, this is getting real. He is going to Rhythmia and it is happening. And I'm still invited. So to seal the deal for me, because I knew it was at the top of my mom's bucket list, I just asked him because I knew he was very invite only and he wanted a certain level of consciousness at this event. However, he had met my mom because she went to Breakthrough to Success with me, his week-long program that we attended in Scottsdale just in uh, August. So he got to meet her, hug her, take a photo with her, and get a stronger sense of me and her together. And my mom's amazing, let's just face it. So so I said to him, you know, would it be possible to invite my mom? And he's like, absolutely. Please bring her. Yes. So I call my mom and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, my mom has never said yes. Well, she says yes to very little things that I've invited her to. Not going to lie, this year there's been more yeses than maybe my whole life. But in general, my mom hasn't said yes to a lot of things that I've invited her to. Specifically not an international trip. And so I call my mom and I'm like, hey, so... Jack Canfield has has extended the invite to go and do ayahuasca with him and his friends at Rhythmia to you as well. Would you like to go? And she didn't even hesitate. She was like, yes, when? I was like, what? Like my head was spinning. What? I was so shocked by that. So now at this point, I'm like, oh shit, I really got to go. Like now my mom's going to go. We got ourselves booked. And I'll tell you, I had about a month to prepare because we were leaving on November 3rd. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go. I don't really want to go. I'm going to go for my mom because I love my mom. We've been through a lot this year as a family. She's been through a lot more than I have personally. And I wanted this for her. And I was also really stoked to travel with my mom. And I thought, you know what? I probably won't do ayahuasca, but hey, now I'm going for her and we'll share a room. I can, she'll go in and do the ayahuasca at night and I'll be here for her to hear all about it the next day. I was so not doing ayahuasca. And then I started going down the rabbit holes. We were getting closer and closer to go to Rhythmia. And I was like looking up videos on YouTube and I was hearing all about the experiences. And that's what's so cool about YouTube and life in general, by the way, is that whatever you're looking for, you'll find. So first I was down the rabbit hole of finding all the positive, really unbelievably miraculous transformational testimonials on video from celebrities, from people like me and you, just, you know, all the range. And it was like, okay, well, well, I'm actually, I'm scared, but I'm actually excited for this. And then one of those nights, I I think I ate too much ice cream or something, and I was in a bad state, low vibration, and I went down another rabbit hole that was dark. And it was, I, I didn't see any negative for anyone who had experienced something like that at Rhythmia, but other people's experiences trying ayahuasca, I was now just a, in a big, wide rabbit hole and going down in a negative way of hearing horror stories and scary things, my biggest fear things. And I was like, oh my God, I had someone had talked about seeing snakes wrap around their heart. People had talked about having, you know, oh my God, there were so many negative, scary things. I was like, oh shit, I, I don't, I cannot handle this. And I'll tell you why. Two years ago, Exactly this week, I went to date with Destiny. Many of you know that's the only reason this podcast exists is because I woke up there to the fact that I had to launch a podcast. And I had learned to master my mind. I had learned to generate unbelievable, you know, outcomes, not only personally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and professionally. I was living my best life the last two years. I mean, my life, you, there is a distinct before and after, and it was all because I had learned to control my mind, and I was able to redesign my values, and I was able to understand what it means to take inspired action and to actually have a measured result. And all of that came from me working with my mind and not letting my limiting beliefs, as you know, you guys hear it all the time in here, or stories or excuses hold me back. It was like, move forward despite it. You can have fear, but don't be fearful. So because I had learned to manage my mind and doing ayahuasca was the opposite. It was letting go completely, surrendering to the unknown, which I've spoken about here a lot, but it's still in the mindset, right? This is, you're not even your mind anymore. 
you're going to merge back with your soul before you split. At least now I know that to be true. So we're on our way and I've kind of hit a point in life where my business, where it's been stressful. I haven't found the joy in it for a few weeks just because we had a lot of launches, a lot of epic success. My business, you know, almost tripled again this year. I'm very grateful and humbled and honored to even say that, but it came at a great cost for a few specific weeks and I was just an overwhelm. And I, I hadn't even said that word in so long. I mean, maybe seven, eight months. But I was just feeling this, this like lack of joy, which was caused by the overwhelm, which was caused by some of the stress. And it was just because I wasn't managing my time and I was allowing myself to be spread too thin. And that happens as an entrepreneur. It happens as a human. And so I was giving myself some grace about it. But on the flight there, I was just like, oh my God, I can't wait to just, you know, be done with this trip so that at least I, I, I can say I did it. And so my mom and I get on the flight and we land in Costa Rica. And then I realize, oh my God, it's the first time that she's ever received a stamp on her passport. How cool is that? My mom was 72 years young. That was an incredible moment to share with her as we were going through customs. And so then we get in our shuttle from the Costa Rica airport. I think we landed in Liberia. It's about a 90-minute shuttle, and Rhythmia will pick you up. On jumps a few people from Malay and... The assistant director, also from LA, that by the way, happens to be a practitioner at Agape, my spiritual home for almost 20 years, very close to my heart. And I know that Reverend Michael Beckwith, the founder of Agape, does a lot of events at Rhythmia. He's very much an integral part of Rhythmia. And you'll hear that if you listen back to my conversation with the CEO and founder, Jerry Powell. Reverend Michael was working with him, same with Reverend Kathleen McNamara. So anyway, on jumps to the shuttle, John Jacob, known as JJ who will also be on the show, by the way, coming up. And I'm like, okay, John Jacob, I have to ask you, am I going to see snakes in my heart? And he was like, ah, here's the thing that we talk about at Rhythmia. What's coming is going. And he didn't answer me. And of course, my mind is like, wait a second, you didn't answer me. So am I going to see snakes in my heart? Like, I don't want to see snakes in my heart. I'm scared to see snakes in my heart. (laughs) He was like, here's what I can tell you. Everything that you need to see that will show you who you've become and how you've become this version of yourself will be perfect. Trust in that process. And I was like, oh. So even on the drive into the compound, this beautiful Rhythmia place, I was thinking, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm here for my mother, all right? No, it was no longer about being with Jack and all the friends and some of my friends from the Tony world. It was like, I'm here for my mom. That's my big excuse. I'm not going to do it because I'm not, I was never going to do it. I'm just here for my mom, <laughs> I laugh because it's so amazing how our minds, ego minds, will try to negotiate and be right and then righteous, right? So anyway, let me just jump right to it. Night one, we go into the Maloka, we take our first cup and I take about a half a cup. And it's so beautiful, you guys. The grounds are gorgeous. The room is great. And I'm loving that I'm already there with my mom. The weather is just crazy amazing. It's November 4th at this day. And the winds are, it's like a breeze in the air, clear skies. It's probably what, mm, 68, 72 degrees, somewhere in that realm. The trees, the plants, the landscaping, it's so lush that it almost looks like it's Alice in Wonderland, otherworldly, beautiful colors. And this is just day one. We haven't even had the plant medicine yet. So it's just, it's stunningly beautiful and vibrant. And I was scared. Oh, by the way, before I get into Maloka, I see John Jacob, JJ, as I'm going up and I'm wearing my white t-shirt and my black stretch pants. (laughs) And like as casual as can be, because I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to be puking and pooping, because that's what they say can happen, I'm like, that I'm, I'm not going to be looking cute when that happens. I'm just going to live in my PJs the whole time. But I see John Jacob as I'm about to go up to the Maloka, and I'm like, I'm scared. Can you please pray with me? I'm so scared right now. I'm, I'm terrified. I don't want to go in there. I'm going to, but I'm scared. So he holds my hand. He takes me aside, and he's like, let's pray. And so he does this beautiful prayer with me this treatment really. And he says, listen, he points like 10 feet away. Do you see this room? That's my room. Do you see right up there? That's where you're going. It's, it was like maybe a hundred feet away. He's like, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to be under the moon, under the stars several times throughout the night. And I'm going to be holding you in prayer and sending you peace and love and ease and grace. I know that everything that's happening for you tonight is in divine right order. And you're going to have the best journey ever. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but I was like, okay. 
okay, if you're going to be right here, then I think you can do it. You know what I mean? And so I hugged him and like held on tight. I never wanted to let go. I was so scared. And I went up into the Maloka. I had met a lot of new friends there, by the way. So at breakfast and then lunch and then through some of Jack Canfield's trainings, I met Panache Desai. I got to see Mariah, my friend Rhea. And of course, my mother was there and some other beautiful souls that I got to meet like Kim and Joan and Steve and Garong and Avni and Ruben and Peter. Oh my goodness. All these amazing souls. Jack's wife, Inga, and all of his friends, Natalie, Ken Honda, and Hillary and Pamela and all these beautiful souls. And Raj, oh my goodness, this beautiful soul named Raj that I thought, thought was Panache, by the way, when I first walked in. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, that's the other Indian guy. I didn't know. I just knew that, that I was supposed to meet someone named Panache and I was excited to meet whomever this person named was Panache. Anyway, so this Raj and I had this really beautiful connection over a gratitude exercise that Jack Canfield put us through earlier in the day. And it moved him to the point where he walks up to him and he's like, hey, I just want to share something with you. And he had some tears in his eyes when I had shared with him in person. But then they came back to share it with me again later in the evening before the ceremony started, which by the way, he saved me a bed right next to his. So I was like five feet away from him, which is really cool. And then because my, my mom and I couldn't be near each other. If you came with someone you're really close with or related to or married to, you were asked to not be near them so that you could each experience your own journeys. And that that is something that we definitely abided by. So Raj had actually saved me a bed, which was really cool. But he'd also walked up and said, I just want to share something with you. Like, I can't shake you sharing what you share with me today about having a hysterectomy and what that meant to you, but the gratitude that you actually experienced. And then he kind of got all teary again. And he's like, I'm just so moved by your perspective and what you had to go through. And I just feel really touched by your share. And I wanted to say that to you. So we had like this really yummy hug. And I just thought, man, I, this dude is like, I, my soul felt at ease with him. And I just thought, this is a beautiful connection. So we go into the first night's journey. And it's the craziest thing, you guys. I can look out the window that Raj is basically right under. And out the window, I can see the sky. And it's this beautiful sort of midnight sapphire blue sky with these gorgeous platinum stars. And then I can see the ledge of the roof as I'm just beginning to get into my journey. And the music is playing. We've all had a cup. It's maybe about 45 minutes in. And there's shamans everywhere and there's support team everywhere. Even Galaxy and Akela, the dogs have come in and even laid on my bed at one point. And that made me feel really blessed because of my connection to Samson and my connection immediately to Akela specifically, the uh, princess shaman pup <laughs> on the grounds at Rhythmia. I started to see a formation of the architecture of the side of the roof. And I like had to blink my eyes like four and five times because I'm like, what am I looking at here? And all of a sudden, the roof's ledge took shape of a Black Panther's face. Think like Jungle Book, just your classic Black Panther. And I didn't know if I should be scared. I didn't know if it was real. I kept blinking my eyes, but like, you're kind of like in this drunken plant medicine moment. So it's kind of like slow motion. And I was scared, but I was trying to be brave, which by the way, is the whole mantra, arrhythmia, the universe rewards the brave. So I was taking a breath and remembering what they said, breathe, relax, and smile. By the way, that's such a beautiful thing for every day in life. Breathe, relax, and smile. So I'm looking at the formation of this roof and it has turned into a Black Panther and I'm, I don't know if I can trust it. And I'm scared. I might close my eyes because I don't want to look at it, but then my eyes just like are forced back open. And clearly Mama Ayahuasca wants me to see this. And so I'm, I'm asking myself like, should I be scared? And all of a sudden, no joke, this Black Panther that's in the shape of the roof that looks so real grows these long, beautiful black lashes, and she flutters them slowly as she bats her eyes a couple times. And then her eyes turn into this gorgeous sapphire blue color. And I'm like, oh my God. And what I realized is that she was there to let me know that I could always turn to her as a guide and as a touchstone for safety for when I feel afraid or when I'm anxious or stressed in the journey. I could always come back to her, even though this sounds crazy, as my true reality. 
So now when you're in the journey, this is the craziest thing. People ask me this. Do you know you're in the room? Yes, you absolutely know you're in the room and you're simultaneously in another realm. Okay. So does it make sense that the roof turned into a Black Panther where she flooded her eyes at me and let me know that that was my, she was my guide? No, but that's, that was my reality. That's when I look over to my right and I can see Raj, by the way, this, this, this beautiful soul who's also underneath the window the whole time. He kept looking at me. I thought he was looking at me, but it's so dark. He can't really see someone's eyes. And I'm like, he's turning toward me, but I was in my drunkenness. So I kept turning toward him. And we just had this connection all throughout the night. It went like six, seven hours, it felt like. And there were some really cool things that that were happened that were very distinctive that I'll share in a sec. So then I, I turn over to my left side. And by the way, I learned by like night three, whenever I turned my left side, that's when she had worked with me enough in a gentle enough way and let me know that I was safe and here's your guide, but now we've got to do some work. And so I would literally turn over onto my side, curl into a little ball and feel scared. And my body was responding in the same way that I would feel the fear, right? All tense, closed up, not open and free and shallow breath. And I was like, I was bracing for what I was going to be shown. And I was shown right away my stepfather. D. His name is Mark, but I called him D. D for dad, but also his last name. I won't say here. It's the first initial. And I was immediately flooded with sadness. He had had an affair for four years on my mom. And they, for me, represented the ultimate in the best relationship you could ever possibly have. And he also represented for me such a healing around how I had hoped my dad would show up in ways that my dad just didn't. My dad showed up in other ways that I now recognize as perfect, perfect. But there were these other qualities that I was really, really hungry for and actually I'm sure, I'm sure on some level starving for that D would just bring in very naturally. He was very attentive to me. He liked to advise me. He was very much intrigued and enthralled and cared about my daily life. So we had a very close relationship And so for me, he restored my faith in men and trust and fidelity and loyalty and all the things that I had never experienced. So when we discovered that he had been having an affair with a woman my age for four years behind my mom's back, it was a devastating blow. But my job in that moment was to take care of my mom. So I never really got to fully experience my own pain around, well, what about me? And what does this mean for me? And oh my God, I'm not going to lose you as my dad. So not only did you betray my mother, the love of my life, but you've also betrayed me and our family. And I don't get you as my dad anymore. And then on top of all that, now, by the way, what does this mean about me trusting men? I for sure can't trust men for the rest of my life. That's it. So I had a new piece to my story. How perfect, right? And so because I didn't experience all that pain, because I was so consumed with making sure that my mom was going to live and be okay and eat and get hydration and, and see sunlight, you know, I mean, there were weeks and weeks and weeks, you guys don't know this, but I just took care of my mom. My mom is amazing, by the way. My mom is on the other side of it and she is through it and she's living her best life and she recognizes the gift in all of it. And even though I knew that for her before we'd even gone to Rhythmia, I didn't realize that I had bypassed all of my pain and I had stuffed it down on a level that I'm sure you guys can all relate to, right? Because we all have that kind of pain. So I got the beauty and privilege of reliving all that pain that first night. It was almost unbearable. And then I was mad and I was angry and I was calling him a fucking coward. And how could you do this? How could you do this to her? And I was just crying and sobbing and my body was just so, it was like retching and writhing. And and it was just like, oh my God, all this, the most, you know, the darkest thoughts to him. And then I was shown as I like kind of like moved back onto my back, like I would wake up like, <gasps> and I was shown what it was like to experience his shame within his own body. So first, Ayahuasca showed me him hunched over, just sobbing and crying and racked with shame. And then I got the beautiful privilege of experiencing his shame in his body for what he had done to us, to my mother, to me, and to himself. 
And I remember saying, I don't want to forgive him because I was being asked to please forgive him. I was like, I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to let this go. How could he do that? He's such a coward. And I was just shown that he's not. He's in pain. And he's in such shame around what he did. It doesn't change what he did. But what he did has nothing to do with me and how he cared about me and how he wanted to be a wonderful father figure to me. That was clear. And so right about that time, we were offered a second cup of the plant medicine. And I didn't want to do it and did it. I took like another half a cup. And then when we went back into that journey, that's when I realized that I I would be completely letting that go and forgiving him. And when I decided to do that, my heart, there was like a zipper, a big like luggage-sized zipper that zipped up on my heart. And it was like a healing of my heart. So I was shown all of it that I needed to see. But what shocked me about that is like, okay, I know I'm here to heal my heart. Show me whom I've become. Merge me back with my soul at all costs. These are the three questions. And then heal my heart. This is the three intentions that Rhythmia encourages you to ask throughout your journeys. And I was like, oh my God, you mean I healed my heart first night? And all I had to do was just go back like nine months ago? Wait, wait, that can't be right. Like, But that was the thing that had to be healed first because there was no way that I had access to anything else unless that happened. And so once that was able to be cleared up and I felt unbelievable peace and serenity in my heart, such love and compassion. It was such a beautiful experience, you guys. And then I was just shown how much I love my mother and how I have to seize every moment with my mother and how I'm here to serve my mother, not make sure that she doesn't die, right? Even that night, because I was like, is she going to live? Is she going to make it through this this night? It was like this obsessive need to take care of her. And my mother is perfectly capable of taking care of herself, right? And so, so I was just shown at the level, though, of which I will be involved in her life going forward for the rest of our lives. And that was so beautiful and so beautiful and profound. It was crazy. And and I just felt this openness and this connection to her that was like from another dimension. So then at the very end of that first night, I'm I'm also then experiencing the beginning stages of going back to my birth. And I knew that I was born with almost, the doctor had said, ah, shit, I think we just broke her shoulder. Those are the first words uttered out of his mouth as he's yanking me through basically my mom. She had a vaginal birth with me. And then the next thing is they noticed that I have jaundice so bad that they have to immediately put me in an incubator. And I was there for three days. So I got to experience being in the incubator and what it was like to feel all that fear of what's happening, but also the terror And the trauma on my mom's face, this young woman looking down at me through the glass. I can't see her. My body's all tense up. I'm, I'm like so stressed as this little tiny one day old baby. And I'm interpreting all of her fear as, as if I've done something to cause that. So A, I'm afraid of my own life and well-being. I've just been yanked from my mother's womb, but I'm also interpreting that somehow I have caused this. And then on the flip side of that, what I've interpreted this to mean for my entire life is that in order for me to experience love, there has to be trauma. I have to do something that creates such drama and trauma in my life, i.e. cheating, betrayal, all these awful things that I have experienced super consistently in life in order to be worthy of love. And so what did that mean? You know what? Put a big guard up. Don't trust anyone. Do it all on your own because you're on your own anyway. Yep. There's my life in a nutshell. Now, that's when I'm not conscious, right? Because when I'm conscious, I know I'm loved. I know that I can collaborate. I can open my heart. But I'm talking about when the shit hits the fan and your triggers are up and you're in highly reactive modes, which we all go through at any time. I don't care who you are. That will still come in as my fundamental belief, my top, top limiting belief. I can't trust anyone. I'm all alone in the world. Now, imagine how that plays out with a romantic partner or how that had played out. But once I saw that, because remember, the first intention of Rhythmia is show me who I've become. So that birth, and this is just one life, Rhythmia, you can go back with ayahuasca, you can go back minimum seven lifetimes. So there's two lines, ancestral and karmic. If you're with me, this is awesome. And if you're not, just stay with me because I promise to be clear. So I had seen where I was in this life and it went all the way back to my birth because supposedly we split from our true self, our soul, the truth of who we all are, sometime between zero and six or seven years old. For some of us, it could be as benign as what happened to me, although that felt traumatic. 
people were actually trying to save my life. They put me in an incubator to, to restore my health. But what I interpreted that is, is I was dying, I was afraid, and I somehow caused all of this pain that's on my mother's face. And what's happening, all this fear, the stress, and anxiety that, by the way, guess what has been my sort of low-level vibration my whole life is always a little bit of stress, all, always a little bit of anxiety. And it's just always kind of low-grade hanging in the background. And that's my, that had become my emotional home. So I would always rush to get to somewhere last minute, rush to meet a client, rush to get to the airport, rush to make a meeting. And that kind of felt good because that's what I knew. It was so incredible to see it connect back to that first day of my life. (sighs) She shows it to you every little detail, she being Mama Ayahuasca. And so once I was able to experience that and notice that that had informed every decision, every choice, and every belief that I lived with... It was like this, (gasps) and I was able to like breathe again and be like in such awe and gratitude and oneness again. And that would happen throughout the journey, long night. So once I finally got through that night or through that part of the journey, then I was like, okay, so I've just healed my heart a second time. Oh my God, we're like making progress. (laughs) At one point I looked over to, a speaker that was up in the, almost like the line of the ceiling in the, in the wall, there were these black speakers that were like, I don't know, maybe 18 inches by 10 inches or six inches, you know, big, like rectangular black speaker. There's a bunch of them because the sound system is epic, by the way. And the music is unbelievable. I mean, it's almost worth going just for the music. Actually it is. So I, I look over as I'm in the hardship, actually way back with the, with my stepdad journey and it was so painful. And I was on my left side, remember, because I was curled up and I was about to see something that, that was going to be hard and required bravery. And they always tell you, Arrhythmia, go to the hard. Don't walk away from that. Don't be scared. Go toward it. Because as scary as it might be in the moment, it's going to be why you came. It will be what you need to see that will help to show you who you've become. Then you can get the healing that you came for. Then you can get the miracle that so many people talk about, nearly 100%. But as I'm in the stress and in the anxiety and the fear of this journey, I look up at this speaker and all of a sudden it becomes like this sort of like woozy bobblehead, like this African bobblehead. And it's kind of like, I wish I could show you like a picture of bobblehead on like the dash of the car, right? It's like, and all of a sudden this big dopey smile from this African like black man with his big old lips and this big old smile says, what's going on here? He's kind of like nodding his head. He's like, what's going on in here? He's like nodding and smiling, just kind of looking around the room. And I look up at him and I'm like, I started laughing so hard because I realized between the Black Panther over here as being this super common, grounded, grounded, centered guide that I could always go back to for safety. And by the way, I I must have looked at her a hundred times. Okay, I'm good. I'm safe. All right. Thank you. And then I would look up at this African bobblehead and... Like, what's going on in here? And I realized that she, Ayahuasca, gave me that, him to show me the levity of the situation, that all of this was so fun and it was just, it was all happening, but none of it was to be taken so seriously, right? Because you'd hear people puking, you'd hear people crying and laughing, you'd see people getting up. Remember, you're you're aware you're in the room, but you're also in your own very intense journey, whatever that might be. And everybody has a very unique journey. My mother saw the color purple the whole first night. I'm like, what? I've gone through all of this and you just laid there with your with your hands wide open and you just saw the most beautiful colors, that's it? <laughs> so crazy. I think she saw the word trust on her first night. That's it. That was her whole dynamic journey. Wow. That's amazing though. So, so this African bobblehead that's like weaving up and down and nodding, like what's going on in here? I was like, this is so cool. So I knew that it was, there was levity. I knew I was safe from the, from the Black Panther with the sapphire eyes. And so at that point, as I had all these healings, I thought, well, you know, I've done so many intentions. I've healed my heart a few times. I know what I came in to know, which is two things. I want to heal my body of body dysmorphia. But I also really want to know, am I going to get soulmate love in this lifetime? Because I didn't know. I hope so. I had faith, but I didn't really know. And I thought, well, Mama Ayahuasca is supposed to be this divine intelligence, supposed to be like one with God with the true source of the infinite, which is what we're not disconnected from, but she comes in there to clean you out so that you can reunite back with this energy. 
And so I was like, why not ask? Why not? Right? It's like as close to, you know, God giving you the answer as you could probably have in this life. So I remember lying on my back and saying, you know, Mama Ayahuasca, would it be okay if I ask you a question? And I was told yes. And I said, do I get a beloved soulmate in this life? And she said, yes. And I said, can you show me my beloved? And listen, I don't know where things are going to go, but I will tell you this. I looked over to my left. She had me turn my head. And the moment that I did that, that person, Raj, that I had connected with the first day that had saved me the bed, that I'd actually, by the way, had seen at a Date with Destiny event the year earlier in the room. And I was stopped in my tracks when I saw him because I just was like, whoa, who's that? We never talked. We never met. And he all of a sudden got up off of his bed onto his knees and he just like his chest was up and it was like a phoenix rising in front of the window that had that beautiful midnight sky and stars behind him. And he held that position and he looked right at me for several seconds and then went back and laid down back on his bed. And that was pretty interesting. I was like, huh, huh, really didn't know what to do with that, but it was just really wild. And so... That was pretty much it for the first night. We all kind of wake up around 2, 2.30 in the morning. We kind of all talk, you know, in the Maloka. It's this magical evening. We all kind of all gather, Panache and Raj and my friends Mariah and Rhea and, and Joan and Kim and Ruben, all the, all the players that I mentioned earlier, Gontam, all of them, and my mother. And we all just kind of pile on like this, like love cuddle. And we're all sharing about our journeys. And some had really hard journeys. Some had, you know, very amazing journeys. Like my mother, they just saw like beautiful, you know, color. Some had really hard journeys. Oh, very, very interesting stuff. And it's their stories to share. So nevertheless, that was day one. And so then night two, I have an epic night. Night two is Brad the shaman. The first night is Christian. Night two is Brad. It's all about like love and it's like so easy and it's incredible, you guys. I felt love, like green heart chakras, like literally like fluttering out of my heart. I saw the stars. I went to the grandfather fire. I was able to (laughs) experience this unbelievable joy and also go into almost a past life where I was this African queen and I was wearing this big gold headdress and, and, and I saw all the animals. Oh my God, all the animals. That's the night that I was told you got to be vegan through the end of the year and you can never eat pork or beef again. I was like, what? But I was just like, I was shown the inside of their bodies and what their nervous system feels like and their pain and their fear. Sorry, no offense, people who eat meat because I did right up until I went to Rhythmia, but I was shown what they experience right before they're slaughtered. And then that would be in my nervous system. So I was just told if you really want to alkaline your body and really clean up your your body, which is part of what you're also here for, right, is to heal, then you need to do that. So I made a commitment and I did vow to never eat pork again and to never eat beef again. And I was living on like ribs and bacon and burgers. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I did not have a clean diet before I went there. But hey, I'm willing to do that because I was shown very clearly and I could hear their screams. It was was very intense. I don't want to go into too much more detail about that, but it was, it was horrifying. And so that second night, it was, there was more like sexual stuff around me and a partner. I didn't see any face, but I was definitely shown someone in my life with a circle around us of our closest friends. And it felt like I was the African queen from another life. And, and I was just shown like this erotic connection between us, which I thought was awesome because my last couple of boyfriends, not going to lie. There wasn't a lot of passion between us. I was like, you know, I'll take that. Um, so that was interesting. Then, oh my God, I was shown a snake that tried to slide into my heart. Not going to lie. Then I was shown a big tarantula that was like the size of like, it was like a three by five and like feet. And it came up and it rested on my torso. And then as soon as I was able to acknowledge it and not be scared of it, it just dissolved. It was kind of wild. That's crazy sounding, but true. I saw some pretty gnarly stuff that that looks that could seem really scary. But as soon as I was just able to look at the snakes, my biggest fear, then it was able to just dissolve into nothing. There was one snake that like slid up. This sounds crazy, but it slid up and it was coming up to be right next to me. And I just looked at it right in the eyes and I was just like, oh, snake. Wow. It must be exhausting to have so many people fear you and misinterpret your intentions. And all of a sudden, it just like looked up to me and it gave me this big, beautiful sort of pensive smile. 
And then it just like, ah, like cooed almost and like curled up, closed its eyes and went to sleep right in like the nook of my arm. No joke. Then I come to find out later from my, from, I call her my shaman raven. She's not actually a shaman there, but she does facilitate a lot of ceremonies. She's there two months out of the year. She told me later, mama ayahuasca is a snake. Anytime a snake appears in your journeys, it's like the ultimate truth. And I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. So part of that journey also that night was I have suffered from severe body dysmorphia my whole life. Now, you can trace that back to my mom, my grandmothers, et cetera. I never saw a lot of skin. I never saw a lot of freedom around body or just being at ease with it. It is what it is. They may not have experienced that for themselves, but it's how I interpreted it as a young little girl and then how that informed me from the way that I dressed and felt about my body. And I had my own stuff around it too. I had a lot of shame around my body. I had a lot of perfectionism working with me. And I just had a lot of self-loathing to say the least around my body. And I had somehow traced it to and blamed it on my upbringing, my parents, my grandparents, et cetera. Because you know how we do, right? We never take full responsibility for our own lives. Well, with the medicine, it shows you. Remember, it can be karmic or ancestral. You can go seven lifetimes back. So I was shown, okay, so all of a sudden this tiger appears with these beautiful amber eyes in the other side of the maloka through a window, like through the trees. And so I still got the Black Panther with the sapphire eyes. I still got the, the African bobblehead that's like, what's going on in here? And now all of a sudden I see this regal, absolutely stoic, beautiful presence known as this gorgeous classic tiger. And I didn't know if it was male or female. And by then through breakfast conversations, et cetera, I'm asked, or my shaman said, you know, you can ask if I, if you can trust and you can even ask what's their name. So I didn't know about that part yet, but I knew like, can you trust? So I looked at this tiger and I was like, can I trust you? And all of a sudden the tiger grew lashes. No joke, you guys. The tiger grew these long lashes and like slowly fluttered them, like kind of batted them at me. Not as long as the panthers, but just kind of just slowly fluttered them at me to let me know I'm here with peace. I come with peace or I come in peace. Yeah, with in, same thing. I was like, okay. And then I was like, I could breathe again, right? Because I was scared. Oh shit, when you see that, it's like, that could be scary. And it's like, whoa, that's really happening. Yep, that is. And all of a sudden when I relaxed, I breathed, I relaxed and smiled. She took me on a journey, this beautiful tiger. And she took me into a field. And in this field were these two young little girls, four and five years old, just dancing so joyfully, so freely in these little dresses. And the dresses were blown in the wind and they were so feminine. They were so free. And I realized in that moment that the tiger had taken me to both my grandmothers. Both my grandmothers' names were Mary and they were holding hands and they were just dancing and they were free in their bodies and they were so feminine. It was so beautiful. And then all of a sudden my mom came in to join the circle and then my sister came in to join the circle. And then I was in the circle and the five of us were holding hands. We were in this little dance party and it was so fun and it was so feminine. And I realized, oh my God, this is a gift to show me that this is actually who I am before I split. Yet another example of the freedom in my body around what I wear and being free in my movement instead of feeling kind of like in my more masculine or how I've always been or thought about my body or myself or my family, the women in my family, right? So cool. So I didn't see a lot of dresses. Didn't see a lot of dresses. Didn't see a lot of femininity. Could be feminine women, but I didn't see a lot of that. It wasn't modeled to me. And so there it was, them in all their beautiful feminine glory. And it was so powerful for me. So basically, I think that pretty much wraps up night two. And then day three. Day three is divine feminine. This night, Raj couldn't, so the Raj and I are just getting closer and closer and closer. There's, there's more there, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to share those details with you guys. I'll put it to you this way. We are definitely dating. We are definitely in a relationship. It's, it's a wonderful, exciting time, but I don't want to share too much more right now at this point because I want to just allow it to just have its own unfolding and it's really sacred to us. Obviously, I'm sharing it here. Our families know, our closest friends know, and now my podcast listeners know, but I'm going to let that be in its own beautiful cocoon for now. So as day three is unfolding, I am moved a couple of beds over because the shamans have brought some of their guests in, new employees of Rhythmia, 
where my bed was situated, it was right near Raven, my favorite shaman. And they wanted the new employees right near here so she could keep an eye on them in their first journey. So I was moved like three beds over. So that journey was my most intense journey. Just in a nutshell, I was shown every vile, sadist, darkest thought you could ever have about your body or yourself. And it was paralyzing. It was so dark and heavy that it was tattooed all over my body. There was fire. It was almost like I was being burned at the cross. It was so intense. It was so incredible. I couldn't move. I couldn't even lift my head, but yet I was aware I was in the room. I was peaceful, but could not move. I saw demons and monsters coming out of other people's heads. I saw every dark thought, every dark experience I had pretty much had when I overdrank, when I oversmoked, when I overate, and why I did the things that I did, and the pain that I felt. I could literally experience the pain of every single one of those moments. And it was like my whole lifetime of pain and shame and suffering was all within this one journey. It was almost unbearable. And it felt like fire coming out of my vomit, fire coming out of my belly, fire coming out of my entire system. It was so intense, I can't even explain it. And that same night, I was also shown that in order for me to heal my heart, I had to come to terms with healing my body. I had to love my body. I had to love myself. I had to live from that place or I was never going to have love ever, ever, not with myself. Therefore, how could I ever have it with anyone else? And it was intense. It was like I was being, it was demanding. It was fierce. And it was an experience that I wouldn't change but it was really hard. I felt like I was beaten up the whole night. But yet, remember, I knew I was safe. I knew I was safe the whole time. So when that journey was over, what I was left with is I got to heal my body dysmorphia for sure. I didn't know how to do that, but I knew that that was part of this journey. And I knew that that would be the gateway to the love that I was truly seeking in life. So there's more to that in just a moment. But all of that was was just pretty damn incredible and seeing those monsters with their gnashed teeth coming out of someone else's head. And and then that night, I actually had some really interesting experiences back in my room. It felt like demons were in my room. But really what it was is it was my darkest thoughts that had followed me into the room. And so the next day, final day, we're going to the fourth journey. Remember, you're in this journey with all these other people. So you get to share breakfast. You get to share on the love cuddles after it's all over at two o'clock in the morning. You get to share over lunch. And then, you know, you're having colon therapy sessions. You're having massages. You're lounging by the pool. It's like this womb of love. I'm experiencing all of this and just getting closer and closer and closer with everybody there. And everything's kind of in slow motion because I was on my phone a total of three minutes the entire time that I was there, which by the way, was the greatest gift of all. And so I was just in it fully and wholeheartedly. And I was just getting all these beautiful healings and all these beautiful awarenesses and awarenesses and distinctions around. If you want to merge back with your soul, this is what you've become. This is how you've become who you've become. And this, by the way, is your unique prescription, right? It's the magic math, they call it, of Mrs. Moon, which is the original entity, if you will, of what Jerry saw, the CEO and founder. By the way, I got to discover on night three that the Black Panther... And the African bobblehead and the tiger all had names. Cause by then I had known, oh, you can ask for their names. So I'm expecting really exotic, cool names, right? I'm in Rhythmia. I'm in Costa Rica. I'm doing ayahuasca. I got these really cool guides that I now know are my guides coming to me to show me that I'm safe or who I really am or that there's a lot of joy here. There's a lot of levity. You can relax. And so the Black Panther, I'm like, what's your name? And she says, Sheila. I die laughing. I'm like, Sheila (laughs) did not really work for my ego, (laughs) the ego. And then the African bobblehead, what's your name? Joe. Oh, Joe. Okay, Joe. All right, Joe, the African bobblehead. What's going on in here? And then the tiger, her name was Mary. And it's really interesting because as I shared that with some of my friends, they were like, did you ask how you, it was my mom. Actually, it was my mom. was like, oh, oh my God, how did she spell it? So then the next night, the final night we're going in and I'm like, I realized that Mary the tiger took me to my grandmother's. And interestingly enough, y'all, both my grandmother's names are Mary. Both of them were the name Mary. So I asked this tiger, well, how do you spell your name, Mary? And she said, M-A-R-R-Y. It was Mary. Remember, she took me to the field of femininity. She took me to the field of freedom. 
of full self-expression, of knowing who we really are as a unique feminine divine force of play and community and gathering goddesses. So that was just really interesting, right? So we go into the fourth night and this night we meet a little later because we're going to go all night. And I mean, all night, like you start at like seven, seven thirty, and you go to like nine o'clock in the morning the next night. Now you're going to be offered three different cups. So this last night, because I'd had the, the sort of demon experience that felt like a demon experience and because a few shamans had worked with me to kind of clear it so that my my nervous system and my body was was could go in relaxed, the head shaman Mitra had actually moved me up to be about four feet from where he was going to be, which was so beautiful because I was scared and I wanted all of it cleared out and I knew they were going to be doing a big, beautiful blessing and I didn't want anything getting in the way of my final night of taking the medicine and being in this beautiful Maloka where I wanted the ultimate miracle. And so, you know, throughout this journey, I had been obviously working with the body dysmorphia stuff as well as knowing if I'm going to be united with my one true love in this life. And I was assured yes, but I knew there was still more work to do. And so as I took the first round of medicine and then did purge, it's a big purging night, by the way, don't be afraid of that because what's coming is going. And so I purged and I vomited and you're supposed to look at the bucket and not assume that you know what it is. And a lot of people don't remember to ask, but a lot of people do remember to ask. And you're supposed to look at it and just ask, what is that? Because it's, it's, it's a gift for you to know what you've just let go of. And you've really let go of it, like sometimes for forever. And so I asked, what is that? And she said, fear of this person. And it was the person that I had met and connected with Arrhythmia, Raj. That shocked me because I was like, wait, what? Because I thought that our relationship might just be friends for now. And so again, stay tuned for more on that story, y'all. But I was like, (sighs) and I just lay down on the bed and I just had my hands over my heart. And what I really realized in that moment, what the gift of that moment truly was, is that in order for me to keep a healed heart, because this is what I was feeling, all this love, all this compassion, all this grace, all this peace, is it was my job to keep my heart peaceful, full of love, joy, and contentment. And I knew the body stuff was there. I didn't quite know how to do that, but I knew in that moment I was experiencing that oneness with a little girl who was playing in the field with my gram- my grandmas. I knew that I was one with the divine of Mary the tiger, the Black Panther, Sheila, the levity of Joe, the bobblehead. They were all my guides. I knew that I'd been connected to my ancestral life of an African queen and all her power. I had seen the work that I'll be doing as a businesswoman, as a conscious leader. I had seen what I'll be doing, helping grown executive men and women rise to the call of who they really are. I saw it all. I saw where my first $3 million in business will come from. I saw myself standing in my full power and being unapologetic, scared, And also being unapologetically getting after it. That's all coming, you guys. Get ready. 2020 is going to be amazing and beyond. We're just getting started in terms of what I do for work. This was all meant to be for me to see all the glory, all the power, all the prowess that's required for me to step into that fully. She showed it to me and it was so big, it felt like, that it was like, oh my God, I can't do that. That's just too much. And it was like, you are here for this. You are a light warrior. This is who you are. It's like, oh my God, it felt so big. But I was like, but at the same time, I was so grounded in a peaceful, serene heart. It's like, I can do this because it's not me anyway. I'm being called to do this. Show me who I've become. Heal my heart. And then the blessing was so powerful. Now, I want to share something with you guys. And I shared this with my conversation in Dr. Jeff McNary's podcast which is before Rhythmia, I had gone in with a $3,000 deposit on a surgery to do with the best cosmetic surgeon in LA. And I was going to do a breast reduction. I had gotten to the point where my breasts had gotten a little bigger and I was of course self-loathing. And I thought the only solution was, is to do a breast reduction. And I had been following him for three years. I had had friends that had gone to him. I had already done my consult and put down my deposit and scheduled my date for December 24th. It was happening. It was done. And that night I knew there's no way that I would be doing the breast reduction because I had, I was told I, t- I had to love and accept my body exactly as it is for now. Maybe I'll do something in the future, but I was told for now, your job is to love yourself so fully, to accept your body so fully and beautifully. So when I went into the beautiful blessing where all the shamans give you a blessing and it goes on for like 45 minutes, maybe an hour, they're so generous. They're so thorough. They're so incredible. 
And I took my shirt off and I just went in with my bra, which I would have never, ever, ever, ever done, ever, ever, ever. And I did that. And I just wanted to be loved on and I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to stand there in my power, in my bra basically only. Or actually, you're seated. I was on a pillow. It was pretty damn profound. So when I woke up from that journey, it was just so epic, so otherworldly. Jack and Inga got married in front of us. One of our friends, Steve, played the guitar and sang all these epic songs. We all just cried. We took photos. It was so beyond, beyond extraordinary. I can't even tell you. So in a nutshell, that next morning at breakfast, because we're now going to all stay for a couple more days, right? So we like decompress. We all share like the bonding gets closer and closer and closer. Everyone is just so, so beautifully connected. I had moments with my mother in the journeys where she came to my bed and I hadn't moved all night. This was the fire night, the divine feminine night. And I I wake up and I remember I wasn't able to move the whole night. And I just wake up and I see her standing over me like an angel, like a goddess and her arms are just outstretched with her palms open to me. And I just looked at her. And I bowed to her in gratitude, in reverence, and then, whew, I laid back down. And then she just went off her little angelic way. Those kinds of things happened. I mean, it was so powerful. Oh, my God, my love for my mother is beyond words. Our bond was so extraordinary and will always be for the rest of our lives and beyond because of this. Right now, I know she'll always be with me no matter what. There's no more fear ever. But two mornings later, there's this serendipitous moment. Remember Panash Desai, this epic spiritual healer? That's, that's been there and is there. And he's one of the speakers that goes to with me regularly. He sits down at the head of the breakfast table and he just kind of bop, bops in and he's like, hello. And I looked at him and I was like, Panache, may I ask for a healing? I knew he had healed thousands of people around the world. I knew he could do that. I'd heard he could do that. I didn't feel like I could ask him unless the moment really presented itself. So I told myself, if it just totally is natural I will ask him because I don't want him to feel like he has to work on this trip. It was his own vacation, right? And so he said, yes, give me your hand. Close your eyes. So I closed my eyes. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do. He's not saying anything. He's just clo- We're just closing our eyes. There's chatter going on. People are eating breakfast. People are walking by. The sun is beautiful. There's a slight breeze in the, in the, on my face. I can feel our energy. And all of a sudden it like shoots up my arm and over to my heart and then right to the, my third eye. And I'm like, sh- I'm like told mentally, focus on your third eye. And as I focus into my third eye, all of a sudden I could see these ashy gray eyes that were all decrepit and wrinkly and like old and scared. And I was shown that those were the eyes that I saw my body through that lens decrepit, wretched, old, decayed, dying. And then it's like, whoa, I didn't say anything, but mentally I'm just focused, focus, focus. And the eyes get older and smaller and darker. And all of a sudden they get so small and boom, they like disintegrate into nothingness. And then I didn't know what to do. And I realized that I had just had a healing, but then I knew that we weren't done. He's still not saying anything, Panache, but I'm like, now what? I'm asking myself, now what? Like asking my guides, what else do I do? And all of a sudden my heart was like wrapped in this beautiful, almost like, um, it's like a blanket. It was being swaddled and it was just bathed and bathed and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. And then all of a sudden it was like, is there, I just said, is there more? And then it did like this infinity signal or sign. And it like went up and like wrapped itself around my mind, my heart, my mind, my heart, my mind, my heart, my mind. And then all of a sudden it was done. And I realized that it was a healing on my mind and it was a healing on my heart. And when it was all done, I could breathe deeply and I let go of his hand and I opened my eyes and I was like, oh my God. And I knew that I was completely healed of a lifelong battle of body dysmorphia in five minutes at the breakfast table with Panache Desai. It's been four weeks since I've been home. And what I used to be plagued with, which was, let me give you an idea of what it looked like, because it's very, very few people on the planet have this. And it's like, imagine you're just sitting there and you are consumed, obsessed with the angle of your arm or your leg or your ankle or your wrist and what that looks like to the person on your right or your left or your front or your back. And you know that it looks just decrepit. It's fat. It's, it's dysmorphic. It's disgusting. It's vile. It's ugly. It's wrong. It's bad. That's what I was plagued with. Not all the time, but most of the time. Imagine that to the point where I never was bulimic or anorexic. I've never popped a, a diet pill a day in my life. It's not like I had that 
negative self-image and then would the antidote would be like, oh, I just didn't eat. It's just, even if I was a size zero or a six, because that's been my range my whole life, I still had those thoughts. I would have to see a photo of myself to prove that like, oh, you actually look pretty good. But if I was looking at myself in the mirror or I was imagining what I look like to someone else, that's what I was plagued with. I'm just being really honest with you. And so in that moment, it was gone. And I can tell you that since I've been back, I look at myself now and I just have such beautiful appreciation for my body. I have this profound acceptance. And now when I get in and out of the shower, I have to pass a mirror. And what I do is I often deliberately stop and I look at myself naked in the mirror and I say, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. And then I jump in the shower. Now, for the last couple of years, I have absolutely avoided looking at myself in the mirror. Now, I did some beautiful mirror work. You may recall back when I had done Jack Canfield's um, Breakthrough to Success because he loves mirror work and he, he encourages everyone to do it. But it was always just in my clothes or in my PJs. Never topless. Maybe I did that once, but I didn't really mean it because I was still living with body dysmorphia. It's gone. It's completely gone. So FYI, I'll also be going to Panache's three-day workshop, full-day immersion. I don't remember the name of it, but I'm going to put it in the show notes for you guys because if, if this speaks to you at all, you want to be there. It's coming up in late January. It goes like, I think like the 30th of January through the 1st of February, and it's in Palm Springs, California. I'm really glad I got to share a lot of this with you. It's not all of it. There might be a book in there. I don't really know yet. And obviously, I'm very much looking forward to sharing the details of this beautiful, budding, loving relationship that I have going. And I will as time goes by. But really, I just wanted to come on and share that the universe truly does reward the brave. And that as skeptical and as fear-based as I was, the overall theme that you could hear every night that I went back into the Maloka, just even going to Rhythmy at all, was I decided to face the fear and to embrace the discomfort and to be absolutely audacious in my bravery. And that, my friends, is where the gifts of life are. That's where the magic is. It takes a lot of courage to open up your heart and to be willing to love. It takes a lot of bravery to love your body no matter what. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to give up pork and meat, right? Or, or, or beef because I, I want to experience an alkalinity and a peacefulness within my nervous system. It takes a lot of bravery to completely forgive and have such compassion in your heart for your stepdad that did such awful things that you're no longer judging. And in fact, you even say, I want to welcome you back into my life because what you did to her had nothing to do with her and it had nothing to do with me. It was what you were dealing with within your own mind. That's your own business, but it doesn't change that you are a wonderful father figure to me. And I invite you back into my life. You guys, this is the stuff that we are here for. The ultimate purpose in life is to know it as love itself. And I invite you all to embrace it. I wish you nothing but love and peace. Have a beautiful holiday season. I believe this will be the last one until January. And I'll come back on with so much more. Sending you all my love, peace, joy, and contentment. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.